everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Abnormal Psychologist podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Colby Taylor. I'm a licensed psychologist in the state of Tennessee. I'm also an assistant professor of psychology at Christian Brothers University in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, you might have been wondering there, for a second at least, whether you were on the right podcast, um, because we have theme music now. Um, so we have a guitar riff that was created for us by um, Joseph Jameson, um, who's actually a former student at Christian Brothers University. So super grateful to Joseph or JJ um, for creating that for the podcast. Um, anyways, today's uh, episode is a listener request. So we had a mailbag um, email a few weeks back, and it said, Dear Dr. Taylor, I'm an undergraduate student applying to clinical psychology graduate school programs, and I love your podcast. Can you do an episode on conspiracy theories and personality, specifically more modern conspiracies such as QAnon? Uh, thank you, best, Brett. As always, you can send mailbag requests, and I'll try to do an episode out of them or try to answer your questions. Um, you can email me at ctaylo 41 at cbu.edu. Um, just put in the subject line mailbag and fire away. Um, so today we're going to talk about conspiracy theories. Um, and conspiracy theories are super popular. Uh, about a half to a third of the population endorse at least one conspiracy theory. And I think I mentioned in my last podcast that I endorse a conspiracy theory now. Um, I've been watching Ted Lasso, and uh, I'm convinced that Roy Kent is a CGI character, um, that he's not real, that he's you know some sort of computer animation. Uh, but conspiracy theories... Um, are wide ranging, right? We have conspiracy theories that the world is run by lizards. And that one's interesting because 12 million people in the United States supposedly believe there are human imposters that are lizards that are sort of running around the world. Um, another popular conspiracy theory supposedly is that the, uh, the earth is flat, right? We have flat earthers. Um, an old school one is that the moon landing is fake. Um, here in Memphis, we have one that birds aren't real. Um, the birds are actually, uh, government drones that are flying around. Uh, they're not real animals. Um, and I think some of these, um, like the earth is flat and like birds aren't real, um, are sort of propagated by tongue in cheek anarchists. And they seem to throw sort of a conspiracy theory anarchy bomb and then just sit back and watch the reaction. Um, and I think with like, you know, the flat earthers today, you know, not talking about flat earthers back in the 1400s or with the birds aren't real people. Most of them are in on the joke. They realize that this is just sort of a sarcastic conspiracy theory. Um, but there are, you know, a small percentage of folks that aren't in on the joke and that sort of take these conspiracy theories and run with them. So I did say anarchist, um, probably for lack of a better word. Uh, we will find that people who endorse conspiracy theories tend to have anti-establishment sentiments. Um, anyways, not all conspiracy theories are outlandish, like lizard people, right? Um, we have some more uh, popular ones, like elections are rigged in the United States, that COVID is not real, that 5G is dangerous. Um, or, and we have the QAnon uh, uh, phenomenon that was referenced by Brett's mailbag question. Now, I mentioned I'm from, uh, I'm from Memphis, uh, which is about two and a half hours away from Nashville, um, another Tennessee city. Uh, and we had the Nashville bomber uh, back around Christmas uh, in 2020, um, Ashley Babbitt, uh, who bought into conspiracy theories. He bought into the 5G is dangerous conspiracy theory. 
And apparently he has some writings out there that indicate that um, he might have believed the uh, lizard, the conspiracy theory that the world's run by lizards. Um, so there's very real consequences um, to buying into conspiracy theories. These, these aren't completely benign things. Um, in general, uh, the more dangerous conspiracy theories, the ones that catch on today, uh, deal with things that we can't see, um, like the COVID-19 virus, right? Most of us don't have access to a microscope where we can find the COVID-19 um, virus, or like 5G radio waves. Uh, most of us can't prove or disprove um, that 5G isn't dangerous. Um, so they tend to um, involve, or at least the ones that are sticky, the ones that catch on, tend to involve things that we can't disprove. Um, and in psychology and science, right, we talk about that being unfalsifiable. Um, it's impossible to invalidate. Um, and the thing about conspiracy theories is that the more we try to invalidate a conspiracy theory, sometimes the, the more of a, a hold it gets on us, right? The stronger it gets, the more we try to extinguish it. Um, it's sort of like reverse psychology a little bit. Sort of related to this, the more of an expert you are um, on a topic or in a field, and the more you try to invalidate a conspiracy theory, um, the more that people that buy into conspiracy theories think you are like central to the automations of the conspiracy, right? That you're an expert that's in the back pocket of big pharma or whatever. And in psychology, we call this the backfire effect. That you can, uh, the more experts that you have, the more information and evidence you have against a conspiracy theory, that must mean that the more, um, uh, you, the, the closer you are to the creator of the conspiracy theory. Uh, of course, you're trying to disprove the conspiracy theory because you're in on it, right? You must benefit from it in some way. So besides the backfire effect, let's look at what psychological research has to say about conspiracy theories. Um, we know that people that endorse conspiracy theories are more likely to have an external locus of control. Um, locus of control you might be familiar with from your gen psych, intro to psych courses. Um, you see it abbreviated LOC a lot of times um, as short for locus of control um, in psychological research papers. Um, and locus of control is a well-established concept in psychology. Um, it dates back to the 1960s and work by Julian Rotter. Um, Locus of control simply is sort of the extent to which people attribute actions to either um, internal cognitive processes um, or sort of things within their own control or the extent to which they attribute them to external factors. Um, so things that would be beyond your control. And if you buy into conspiracy theories, uh, you're more likely to have an external locus of control, meaning that uh, you think that you aren't fully in charge of things around you, right? That um, you might be sort of like a puppet on a string. Um, people that uh, have external locus of control are also more likely to endorse beliefs in aliens. By the way, that's kind of uh, an interesting bit of trivia. I think with locus of control and conspiracy theories, um, a lot of people with external locus of control think that the government is calling the shots or that the CDC or Fauci is calling the shots, or the man is calling the shots, right? And we're just sort of pawns in this um, uh, game of misinformation, right? Uh, and fake news. Um, the media is calling the shots would be another example of external locus, locus of control. And uh, us poor peons uh, have no idea what's going on. Um, anyways, uh, if you take that to an extreme, this gets to sort of delusions of control. 
And we talked about delusional disorders and schizophrenia back in the first season of this podcast. But taken to the extreme, this would be a delusion of control, which might be a symptom of schizophrenia, um, especially if you're starting to talk about thought withdrawal or thought insertion or computer chips with COVID-19 vaccines. Um, that's starting to get into delusional territory a little bit. Psychological research also indicates that people who endorse conspiracy theories are high in individualism. So we might be more likely to see conspiracy theories among individualistic cultures. Um, but a very interesting thing about conspiracy theories is that they tend to exist in just about every single culture. Um, conspiracy theories uh, and the tendency to buy into them tends to be a universal phenomenon. We see it throughout age groups from you know, very young people to, to older people, so it crosses generational uh, divides. Um, we see it in just about every country and every culture. Um, I was reading some research that says that the, the country that's most likely to buy into conspiracy theories is uh, Portugal, surprisingly. Um, uh, we'll also see it um, across educational uh, levels and across um, political, across the political spectrum. So super, super interesting. Um, another uh, indicator maybe of conspiracy theory um, buy-in is how authoritarian you are. Um, and with authoritarianism, um, if you've studied personality before, you might have studied the authoritarian personality, uh, which has ties to fascism. So the authoritarian personality uh, believes that people should be obedient to authority. You should show unquestioning obedience. This might remind you of Stanley Milgram and his shock experiments a little bit. Um, but the interesting thing about this is that conspiracy theories are questioning by nature. So it is sort of like questioning authority. Um, and I think there's a tendency to think that conspiracy theories come from the far right. Um, and that's where authoritarianism and fascism would be is the far right. But we also see conspiracy theories on the extreme left. Um, among very free thinkers. Uh, I know that when I lived in Kauai, um, which uh, I think objectively I could say is a more uh, a liberal place, um, uh, we had sort of uh, hippie-ish um, uh, factions that uh, I believed, you know, GMO and Monsanto were um, this big conspiracy on the island. Uh, I remember around Halloween, right? Halloween's coming up. Um, somebody dressed up as the Grim Reaper uh, and they had a sign that said GMO that was hanging from their neck. Um, so I think you see this on the extreme left and the extreme right. Um, so again, on both sides of the political spectrum. Um, we also know that people that uh, are, are more involved with conspiracy theories tend to be higher in reactants, um, the psychological variable of reactants. And like locus of control, reactance is a, an old psychological concept. Again, it dates back to the 1960s. Um, and reactance is when uh, you feel like you've lost freedom or your freedom has been encroached upon in some ways. You're going to buck back against authority and against structure, against the media, against social information campaigns and that sort of thing. Um, so if you feel like you've lost freedom, um, you're going to do everything you can to get your freedom back. Um, even if it comes with, you know, maybe defying the CDC or the FDA or something like that. It sort of reminds me of my toddler a little bit, um, where you tell them not to do something and they'll do it anyway. And you ask them, why did you do that? You know, I told you not to do that. And they'll say, I did it because you told me not to. Um, that's sort of psychological reactance. 
We also know that people that buy into conspiracy theories are also more likely to be nonconformists. Um, so they want to be rebels. Um, uh, and maybe buying into co a conspiracy theory or endorsing a conspiracy theory is sort of virtue signaling in a way, right? You're so nonconformist that, uh, you know, you don't believe what the government's telling you or what the media is telling you or um, what Dr. Fauci is telling you. Um, and through sort of uh, fighting back against the establishment, you're virtue signaling that you're, you're a nonconformist, you're, uh, you're a rebel, right? Um, and I think that this especially comes to light when, you know, people that buy into conspiracy theories are arguing on the internet and calling people that, um, you know, uh, believe whatever the government is telling them, you know, sheeple, that insult of sheeple, um, which again goes along with um, uh, these nonconformists having anti-establishment sentiments. Um, what's not really tied to, um, or not consistently tied, I should say, uh, to uh, buying into conspiracy theories are gender. Um, gender is not a super significant predictor of whether you'll buy into conspiracy theory or not. Um, age or level of education. Um, we see really, really educated people uh, buy into conspiracy theories. Um, you know, maybe super, super free thinkers um, that have PhDs uh, endorse um, conspiracy theories. And also, you know, people that don't have high school education uh, buy into conspiracy theories. So you, we can't make broad generalizations about education, age, or gender when it comes to conspiracy theories. Um, I've been really curious as to whether, like, what you majored in college um, uh, is a predictor of whether you buy into a conspiracy theory or not. Somebody should do research on that, whether a college major is a predictor of, um, I don't know, how gullible you are to conspiracy theory. Um, let me know if you, if you end up doing that as a research project. Um, personality wise, I think the, the original mailbag question asked about personality. Uh, you know, I'm a five factor model fanboy, right? Uh, and the five factor model is ocean, uh, or acronyms to ocean, the O being openness, the C being conscientiousness, the E being extroversion, the A being agreeableness and the N being neuroticism. Um, and there was some work, uh, by Goris and Voicek, uh, probably butchered those names. Um, it's only two years old, back in 2019, that found no significant effects um, or no significant relationships uh, between any of the five factors and uh, whether you'd buy into conspiracy theory or not, um, which I think is surprising to some people uh, in that um, a lot of times, or I think traditionally, we thought that people that are high in openness, um, uh, you know, they're really open-minded. More, might be more likely to buy into conspiracy theories than people that are low in openness. Um, I think also it's been thought before that people that are super high in agreeableness, which might go along with like gullibility, or super low in agreeableness, you know, you're just so grouchy that you don't believe anything anybody would tell you, might be more uh, susceptible to, uh, to buying into a conspiracy theory. Um, but uh, again, this research from two years ago didn't find any significant relationship. Um, and maybe, you know, like with agreeableness, it's sort of a curvilinear relationship. So maybe being like super high in agreeableness or being super low in agreeableness does make you more susceptible to buying into a conspiracy theory. Um, it's just really hard to sort of suss that apart um, statistically. Um, another psychological concept that we'll see related to conspiracy theory belief is the illusory truth effect. Um, and the illusory truth effect says that the more familiar we are with a conspiracy theory, 
So like the more bombarded we are with uh, information about it or with claims that this is a conspiracy, um, the more likely we are to believe it to be true. So a contemporary example of this would be the, the, in the United States, the more you watch conservative news outlets after the 2020 election uh, with claims that, you know, the, the 2020 presidential election was rigged, the more likely you are, um, you know, th that will um, sort of bombard you and make you believe that an actual conspiracy exists. The election was unfair, right? So um, this is why maybe the more you listen to talk radio or the more that you watch political television, um, the more you're sort of going to take that information hook, line, and sinker and buy into it. Um, I, I guess uh, simply stated, the illusory truth effect uh, is that repeated exposure leads to belief. So the more exposure that we have to something, the more we're bombarded with something, um, the more our beliefs are influenced. And this makes evolutionary sense, right? Um, uh, we have the law of the crowd, um, meaning that being sheep or being sheeple, like I talked about earlier, going with the herd usually keeps us alive. Uh, you know, collective knowledge on average um, is uh, more correct than individual knowledge. Um, so being a sheeple might actually be a really good thing. Um, uh, anyways, in preventing conspiracy theories, um, there's well-documented um, inoculation effect interventions. Um, so we can inoculate, um, psychologically inoculate, not with, you know, a, a physical needle um, against conspiracy theories. Uh, sometimes you'll hear this called pre-bunking um, or creating cognitive antibodies. Um, and so with pre-bunking, you try to anticipate the, the arguments that a conspiracy theorist would use. Um, uh, you tell people that, you know, you expose them that this, somebody might present this argument to you as, you know, this is why this is a conspiracy theory and this is why that's not true. Um, so you're, you're prepping them, you're inoculating them against um, sort of the, the bombardment that is to come from conspiracy theorists. Anyway, switching gears a little bit, you, you might remember from my podcast earlier this year, um, like in the spring of 2021, uh, that I was tasked by CBU to host the Mid-South Psychology Conference. And as part of that, I had to get a keynote speaker. The keynote speaker I chose to get for MSPC for the Mid-South Psychology Conference was Dolores Alboracen, who's been at the University of Illinois. I think she recently switched over to uh, UPenn, uh, to Pennsylvania. Um, but she's sort of a rock star in uh, the, the work of psychological conspiracy theories. Um, and she's had some really, really cool studies in the last two years or so uh, that have looked at sort of vaccine hesitancy, vaccine conspiracy theories, political conspiracy theories, you know, fake news, all that sort of stuff. Um, one of her more interesting papers, I mean, they're all super interesting, uh, but one that I find the most interesting um, uh, deals with pseudoscience. Um, and talks about how having a healthy skepticism um, in science could be a good thing, right? Um, uh, that, you know, we're told to trust science, uh, but maybe a higher level, higher order, more intelligent uh, line of thinking would be, um, you know, to realize that science is a process and uh, to not unquestionably take what science tells us. Like science is some sort of giver of knowledge anyway, right? We need to realize that science is a process and science is not some tome of knowledge or, you know, authoritative voice like Alexa or um, 
Siri that's out there somewhere that's telling us that this is true. Um, and there are certain people out there that are extreme trusters in science. Uh, and these people tend to be like more educated people, interestingly enough, um, that are more likely to believe a pseudoscientific claim, um, especially if citations are included. Uh, so you can just put random names in parentheses with sort of a year of publication. They're not going to do fact checking and they're more likely to say that, you know, this is a, you know, a true statement without sort of doing their homework uh, on it. And, you know, going to those authors and that year of publication and seeing what that paper actually says. Um, you know, just because it's printed somewhere, uh, just because it's printed in a scholarly journal or even a peer-reviewed journal, uh, does not make it true. Um, Newsflash, there's a lot of junk um, that gets published in scientific papers. Um, another thing she did as part of the study is she made up her own virus, uh, and she called it the Valza virus, V-A-L-Z-A. Uh, and she came up with this description of the virus, it was, you know, completely fabricated on the author's part. Um, and uh, tried to, and she did some sub-studies, um, some secondary studies as part of this research project to see uh, what influenced um, people buying into belief about this Valza virus. Um, and surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, um, a lot of folks, maybe even in some of these sub-studies, a majority of folks believe that the Valza virus uh, was a real thing. So if you want to learn more about what psychology says about conspiracy theories, there's a lot of resources that are out there. Uh, one free open source resource is the Debunking Handbook of 2020. Let's put that in an uh, internet search engine. Um, it's a great resor uh, resource. Um, and I believe that uh, Dolores Alvarezin contributed to that Debunking Handbook. Um, uh, Another podcast that's out there that's really good is done by the Association uh, for Psychological Science, or APS. I'm always talking about APA, right, the American Psychological Association, but APS is a big deal in psychological science, um, and they have a podcast called Science and Con uh, COVID-19 Conspiracy Theories, um, and it's only about 20 minutes long. Uh, it's a pretty good podcast. Um, if you're a book person... Uh, Bodner and colleagues um, has a book that was published last year in 2020 called COVID-19 Conspiracy Theory Book. Um, so those are all some really good resources. And I don't doubt with the time that we're in now, more really good resources will come out in the next few months. So with the holidays coming up, uh, a question I have for listeners is, what do you do um, if a relative, maybe at Thanksgiving or at Christmas, um, you know, start spouting off some conspiracy theory. Um, do you have an ethical obligation, you know, as an educated, intelligent person uh, to confront that person, um, to correct them, uh, to engage them in scholarly argument? Um, uh, and it doesn't just have to be in person, right? If you're online, if you're on Facebook and you see somebody comment something that's incorrect or propagates a conspiracy theory that you think is just, you know, that's bogus, um, do you engage with them? Um, uh, I've read sort of compelling arguments that the only way to squash conspiracy theories uh, is for really educated people, for experts to see something and then say something. Um, that sort of the fringest conspiracy theory people are the tail that's wagging the dog. They're the most vocal people that's online that are online, um, and other people don't have the energy or the time or want to engage in conflict, they're more conflict averse. So it's allowing sort of this vocal minority um, 
to 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 run the internet or to to ruin Thanksgiving dinners. Um, and I'm curious, like, what your stance is on that. Um, I've talked about this with my wife, who you know also has her PhD and she's an epidemiologist, um, and uh, she doesn't want me to engage with folks. Right? She's really non-confrontational, and she's like, "You're wasting your time if you engage with these people." Um, and, you know, if we're at a family gathering or something, she'll just kind of nod her head and shrug something off if somebody, you know, spouts off a conspiracy theory. Um, and I'll usually do the same thing, I guess, but, uh, sometimes, you know, I, I'll choose to engage, you know, I might down a half a beer and I get this look on my face, like I'm going to engage with somebody. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take them up on their conspiracy theory and I'm going to, you know, give them the facts. Um, and when I, when I get this look on my face that I'm about to go in and, you know, engage, you know, I see my wife or I see my parents and they're giving me sort of the cutthroat motion, like, don't you dare uh, do it. So I'm curious, do I, do I have an ethical obligation? Do you have an ethical obligation to, you know, confront these conspiracy theorists um, head on? Email me. Let me know what you think about that. Um, speaking of email, it's time for the mailbag portion of the podcast. Uh, and so I have quite a few mailbag uh, emails, and I'll try to get to those on future episodes. Um, uh, but here's one from uh, two weeks ago, I think. And it says, hi, Dr. Colby. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Um, I've just binged your whole catalog, and I'm learning so much. Since you've worked with kids a lot, can you do an episode on problematic sexual behaviors in children? Um, this is a common problem that is not really talked about enough. Uh, it causes so much heartache and confusion for families who have to deal with it, especially when a child is sexually inappropriate with a sibling or another relative. Um, in any case, thank you so much for the great work on your show and keep it up. Thanks, Michaela from Canada. Um, so I'm happy to uh, to delve into this in a future episode. It is an important topic. It's an uncomfortable one, but it's important. Um, so I'll create an episode uh, about it. Um, again, you can send mailbag requests to ctaylo41 at cv.edu. Um, so we're at a little over 26 minutes. Let's, let's call it a day. Um, I'm recording this during nap time again, and I think I hear my, hear my kids um, stirring downstairs. Um, so I'm going to go parent. Um, until the next episode, take care, stay well, have a happy Halloween.